Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Steve Outram. He comes to us from down under. He's in New Zealand, and he is the proprietor of the website Burners.me. He has a long history in Silicon Valley and uh, was really there at the very beginning of the Internet age. Uh, started a company very early and uh, has re retells that on his website. There's a lot of information there, but also his association with Burning Man which uh, this year they had to kind of do an impromptu one at the beach in San Francisco, is my understanding. We can talk about that as, as well. That's the reason for the title for his, uh, his website is burners.me. That's what it's referencing. But on tonight's show, we're going to talk about something I've been following on his website. I've read most of the stuff, but it's uh, the, the topic or subject of LARPing, live-action role players, and he's done a lot of research and has actually been involved in some of these um, lawsuits that are taking place between people on in what would be considered the alternate media, maybe. And I kind of came up. If you ever writes like a autobiography, you can talk. You can title it "Adventures in the Alternate Community" because uh, Steve has a lot of connections with maybe some figures you know, you might not know, but uh, definitely a lot of interesting and very detailed information on his website. So I should suggest. Uh, my listeners go check that out. So he knows a lot more about it. He also has a podcast which is titled Crypto Beast and uh, does a lot of different really interesting kind of personal investigations. I think he's become pretty, pretty much a full-time uh, researcher. So, Steve, are you there? Hi, William. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. Thanks for the introduction. Awesome. Well, thank you for agreeing to the interview. So finally made it happen. I know I tried to wrangle you a couple months ago, but... Uh, for people who have not heard your name, maybe you can talk a little bit more, add to what I added in the intro, and just tell how you got to this point of where you started researching these very interesting individuals who are all in litigation with each other. Sure. So uh, I started off on the internet pretty early in 1995, and I wrote a software program called Hot Dog, which made it easy for people to create web pages. And uh, in 1997, that was named as the number three most downloaded software on the internet. So I took that company public at a very young age. I was able to uh, retire at 26 uh, when I sold it for uh, $700 million after just five years of short life. You know, I, I was broke when I began that business, so I didn't get all of that money. I only held a small percentage of the company at the time of the sale, but I still did really well out of the, the first dot-com wave, and then I became an investor in year 2000 uh, and worked probably with about 50 early stage companies, uh, Angel and Series A investing, sat on boards of directors, mentored a, a bunch of businesses. Right now I, I work for a, a top 100 university as an entrepreneur in residence, uh, helping people start their businesses and stuff like that. But I got into uh, research really as a hobby. I'm, I'm a student of history and I think anybody who studies history realizes that it's a story of conspiracies. It's one conspiracy after another. So the idea that conspiracy theories don't exist is, is silly if you study history because that's all that it, that it is. And uh, thanks to the internet, there's really incredible research there. Uh, you know, I've, I've studied uh, Alistair Crowley very deeply, not as deeply as yourself. You're probably the world expert on that topic. But, you know, I'm very intrigued by his role as you know, an intelligence agent as well as an occultist. And there's this sort of overlap between the worlds of the occult, secret societies and magic uh, and the activities of you know, intelligence agencies and organized crime. 
and no it's it's inter- intersection there is uh, you know really pervasive throughout society. I mean, the underworld exists. There is an underworld, and it's silly to pretend that it doesn't exist. Uh, and so my my interest in Burning Man kind of came out of the the rave scene and just going out to party in the desert, have a good time away from anyone that's going to give you any hassles. That's how it was presented to me when I first went in, in 1998. And for anyone who's not listening, or not familiar with it, who's listening, is, is Burning Man is this event in the desert where they create a, a massive statue, uh, like a wicker man, 50 or 60 feet high, and they set fire to it in a huge bonfire. And then, you know, people dance around it and everything. It's turned into a, a week-long kind of anything-goes party and become quite famous but it's enormously influential on silicon valley and so a lot of my research it's a burning man uh which you can see on, on youtube and my series silicon valley secret weapon the shadow history of birders uh which i did with yarn Irvin from gnostic media it's it's seven parts technically seven and a half parts and it's almost 24 hours of content but it represents about what was four years of, of almost full-time research into the ties between that silicon valley Stanford University, the Stanford Research Institute, the Grateful Dead, the Esalen Institute, Burning Man, uh, you know, Timothy Leary, uh, all the activities going on at Harvard and other MK Ultra universities. Uh, that stuff, that stuff, sort of never stopped from the '60s. It's still going on today. And, and uh, you know, companies like Google say that they kind of owe their existence to Burning Man. Uh, it's played a huge part in. The, the culture of that company and they used to have massive photographs from Burning Man you know, sitting around the lobby of Google so that that was the first message you got when you came into the headquarters. Fascinating. That's amazing. So, the, you know, that's the whole thing is this kind of culture creation is still ongoing and what led you kind of towards this whole subject of LARPing, this this kind of unique right. situation within modern alternate media? Yeah, well, so, so I... I grew up uh, in a military family. My dad was in the Air Force, and uh, he was in charge of logistics for the New Zealand Air Force. And so I was always interested in military strategy uh, and tactics. And so when the Internet came out, being involved with the Internet from the very early days of the World Wide Web, you know, I was interested in it from an information warfare perspective. And I used you might have heard of the term guerrilla marketing. That, that's a way that you can use tactics of warfare in a business environment. So I, I use you know, asymmetrical warfare, information warfare tactics to build my brand, build my business. These days that's known as, as growth hacking. Uh, and I've maintained an interest in that field even after you know retiring for the, the first time in 2000. And what I've seen is an incredible evolution of the stuff from uh, YouTube, coming out, Facebook coming out, Twitter, uh, and the, the use of these platforms for disseminating all kinds of information, you know, it really has been weaponized. And we, we saw the Smith-Month uh, Modernization Act, I right. think it was signed in 2012, proposed 2011, under, under the Obama presidency, and that basically reversed a, a long-standing policy since World War II that psychological warfare can't be employed against the domestic population. So after that, all bets were off, and the military-grade information weaponry, these platforms of psychological warfare and psyops, have been deployed for almost 10 years now against the American people and against everyone in the world. And you know, big tech and the social media platforms play a, a large role in that, 
but yeah, this is there's quite a clear evolution of this thinking and these technologies from the military world. And so in the 2016 election, memes played an enormous role. Memes right. on 4chan and Peppy the Frog and everything like that. And, you know, I was participating in 4chan poll. I probably spread a few memes on Twitter. Like I, if, if you follow me on Twitter, at Steve Outram, S-T-E-V-E-O-U-T-T-R-I-M. I'm uh, pretty active on, on Twitter, and, and, you know, I don't make memes myself. I just retweet stuff that I, I find in the information stream. But the net effect of the alternative media, the alternative world, promoting memes and ideas and short videos and stuff like that in 2016 was that, you know, everything was pointing towards Hillary Clinton winning, right? I mean, right. What, what, an outside, what an outsider Trump seemed at the time. And I, I've been a Donald Trump fan since... Uh, I read uh, his book, The Art of the Deal, and I've actually employed his thinking about business in my own business activities and uh, had great success from that. So he's someone I've always looked up to as a businessman and as a leader. He has an incredible command of the information platforms. So I knew that Trump would be able to dominate the news cycle and have them talking about nobody but him, which is indeed what happened. But yes. in addition, there was this alternative you know, digital army, the, the, the nascent digital army that we really saw come out of the 2016 election. If you could think, perhaps you know, leading the charge was Kim.com in May 2015, giving an interview to Bloomberg and saying that Julian Assange is going to be Hillary Clinton's worst nightmare in the 2016 election. And you know he said that he was in touch with Seth Rich and that he knows that Seth Rich was the source for WikiLeaks. Now, I don't have information to know if that's true or not, but that that whole story there, Seth Rich, WikiLeaks, and then coming out of WikiLeaks, Pizzagate, this was new types of information warfare that, that we had never seen before. And I so I was fascinated by everything that was going on, by the by the memes, by these crazy narratives coming out, conspiracy theory narratives starting to hit the mainstream. I mean, Alex Jones I've, I've followed for, for many years, and he really came to the fore in, in 2016. I mean, I think he deserves uh, a huge thank you from, from the American people and the world for the role that he played in getting President Trump elected. And so the Infowars, which used to be fringe conspiracy theory, suddenly shifted much more so towards mainstream thinking uh, leading up to the election. And then we had the Pizzagate. And after Pizzagate is, is really, that's, that's when I got into, into the LARPers because some of the characters that I started to follow on YouTube and in social media in relation to these stories, to me, it seemed like there was more going on that these were just like some guy in his bedroom with a camera. Right, there's some other agenda or something going on. I mean, I think that some of the names are familiar to me because uh, I followed the Seth Rich case, and I, I do think that that, like you referred to it on your website, this kind of new internet reality is a new battle space, really. And you have to really commend these guys, especially WikiLeaks, the slow rolling that information about the emails and all that, letting people go through it. It really captivated people before the 2016 election. But some of these names that I've followed that are on your website as well are like uh, George Webb, Jason Goodman. And I remember their kind of Charleston port hoax that shut down the, the port of Charleston after they said there was going to be some kind of bomb there. But, uh, yeah, so there's a lot of interesting carries, a lot of, a lot of infighting as well. So 
Um, and it yeah, leads up to so, so that, that's, and that's sort of how I got started off with these LARPers. I, I think I, I was following uh, George Webb. I, I have a, uh, a group on Facebook where I discuss uh, conspiracy theories and ancient wisdoms uh, with a few people. And one of the people there said, hey, check out this guy, George Webb, and what he's saying. And it was around, I think, day eight. Uh, and he was, you know, creating videos every day, short videos, 10, 15 minutes or so. Uh, he also pioneered the uh, having a PowerPoint presentation. Yes, uh, And yeah, then discussing that. that in his videos. He used to do that back in the day. He doesn't do that so much uh, anymore. But um, I started... Watching this guy, he was talking about you know, DynCorp uh, trafficking, human trafficking, which was a story that was discussed in the Australian media at the time it happened. But I knew most of the people I talked to in the US weren't aware of that, uh, and so that was an unusual thing for I thought for him to be talking about. And he started talking about Hillary's henchman and the Awan brothers story, and uh, so I, you know, I was a fan of, of George Webb's content thinking that he was, you know, his story was legit. And then uh, he met this guy, Jason Goodman, and they did a, uh, an interview filmed on the, uh, the rooftop apartment of, of Jason Goodman in Chelsea in New York. And uh, very quickly, not only did all of this stuff go off the rails, but uh, the LARPs started to intersect as well. And um, I think it was maybe... I don't know, a, a month, maybe less than a month, from when Jason and George are doing this first interview on, on the rooftop and introducing this character Jason to George's narrative, um, to suddenly they're doing this live stream that you mentioned, and I, I was watching it live, where in a three-hour video, uh, they shut down the port of Charleston from a YouTube uh, dirty bomb hoax. And they, uh, they, they had a, a... It was a social media campaign, and there's an earlier video where the, you could see George and Jason actually planning the LARP, and they're sitting in a, a diner. They've got, like, salt shakers and things like that, and they're moving it around, and, and George is saying, oh, there's going to be the ship, it's going to be the, the Memphis, the mask Memphis, and, you know, he's moving it around with a salt shaker. And then on the day, they're like, oh, the ship is coming, this mask Memphis, and here's the software where we can track it. It's coming into the Port of Charleston, and we believe that it has these four shipping containers on it that are protected because a diplomatic pouch can now be a shipping container that travels without any diplomats and they can contain radioactive material and they're not being scanned and this guy the, from the Awan brothers that's involved with uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz and aspiring on the Democrats in, in Congress, Pakistani brothers, um, he's the one bringing in these diplomatic containers and they've got nuclear devices in them. And so... The, the people watching the show called up the Coast Guard and said, hey, do you know that there's a nuclear bomb that's being brought into the Port of Charleston right now? And obviously, understandably, the Coast Guard took that extremely seriously. And the, they shut down the port. It was at the time the number eight busiest port in the United States. Uh, and it was shut down for, for many hours uh, while they unloaded these containers that supposedly George identified. Uh, and scanned them for radiological material. And there was never any report of the radiological material. The ship left the port without incident. And then they created another LARP that was another mask vessel called the Anna. That was the actual one that had the, dirt, the, the dirty bomb on it, this nuclear material in a container. 
And that was com- coming in, and the mass, uh, Memphis and the Anna were going to connect together at sea, and they were going to exchange containers with each other in the, in the middle of the night to get the dirty bomb back into the port. And I, I was just stunned, in, in awe, watching this, this happen. Like, these guys on YouTube making, making up this story actually shut down a port. I mean, it's, it's a cyber attack. It's, it's, a, it's asymmetrical warfare. It's information warfare, but with very real-world you know, real cons- consequences. Right. And it's an attack on critical infrastructure. And it just shows how vulnerable our critical infrastructure is to this kind of thing being weaponized. Yeah, it's really incredible, and I think that they had kind of uh, accrued a substantial audience, and I think that Swigert, or Webb, or whatever his real name is, claimed that he had real inside information, and that's why he was coming out. I think he was doing the Seth Rich that really came to no, no real proper end or any real new information, but he certainly led people on saying that that that, that was what was going to happen. He was going to reveal that stuff. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, the, the Seth Rich case, the Awan case, um, even the, the entire, like, Andrew McCabe and the FBI spying and stuff like that. Like, you can look at just about every major story that George Webb has attached himself to, or more, more recently, uh, the coronavirus, where he was profiled by, by CNN. CNN featured him for shutting the wow. down with a conspiracy theory, and then featured him again for, you know, trying to cause an international war with his conspiracy theory that a certain cyclist uh, in the United States military at the uh, military games in Wuhan was patient zero that delivered the coronavirus there. And it was just a completely made-up thing. Her her last name was Benassi, which happens to be the name of an extremely famous Italian DJ. And so because of that, George Webb accused this famous DJ of involvement with a biological warfare plot. I didn't know that. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, and I mean, this this poor woman was recovering from uh, from a brain injury that she had, you know, in the cycling race, and uh, had to deal with the international spotlight on her. And you know, people are freaking out, obviously, about COVID nineteen all around the world. And they were saying that she, this woman, brought it into China to deliver it to China. I mean, this this is like really quite a dangerous story that he was telling, but. Once again, he, not, not only did he get away with it, but I think for a guy like George Webb, you could argue that being featured on CNN is actually a level of infamy that then you know, adds to his ability to sell books and monetize his LARP. Right. Good point. Do you know, has he written books? Has Webb, is Webb uh, making content or media, books or videos? Yeah, I know he's so, making so YouTube he, videos. He, he got kicked off YouTube. Uh, if that you know, he's still making video content on other platforms, maybe Periscope, I don't know. But, yeah, I think that's, that's since since losing his main platform there, that's how he's monetizing it as he's copying this, you know, another one in the in the crew of, of characters that get involved with these LARPs, uh, Robert David Steele, who's a prolific publisher of, of books. And so Webb, I think, in the last year has pu- punched out about four e-books that are available on Amazon. Uh, I haven't read any of them, so I can't tell you if they're any good or not, uh, or if he even writes them himself, right? He's he's working with this guy, uh, Peter Duke, uh, who's a photographer, uh, and he's connected to many, many figures in the, the alt media. Uh, if you wanted to look around George Webb and see who could be the guy's handler, 
this guy seems to uh, fit the bill very nicely. Uh, and, you know, ma- many of the other LARPers, you'll, you'll find him connected to them as well. Interesting. So, um, Steele himself has an Intel background. I mean, doesn't he? And, and he's kind of, tr- it seems like he's tested the waters. He dropped some kind of alien base on Mars story, if I remember correctly. Well, yeah, definitely... he, he, went, he went on to uh, InfoWars right at the time when Alex Jones was facing a lot of legal heat over uh, that, uh, that school that I don't know if it's a good idea right, to Sandy mention. Sandy Hook. Yeah, but, yeah there you go. Uh, but um, right, right at that time, Steele did an interview on InfoWars, and he says that, uh, you know, Pizzagate is real, and not only that, but the secret space program they're actually trafficking kids to Mars so that they can be slaves when they arrive on Mars. And this was used to discredit Alex Jones. Like, look at the type of content Alex Jones puts on his show. But Alex wasn't endorsing it uh, or saying that that's true or anything like that. And that was, so I, I saw that as, like, quite a, a deliberate attack. That that's, if you think of information warfare, that you have a bomb, that's, a, that's an info bomb, right? That you right. go onto a, a lot... A, a large platform like Alex's and say something that's easily discreditable misinformation uh, is designed to you know, make, make that platform look uh, ridiculous. And so I, I, I kind of call that like a, a LARP suicide bomber. Uh, that they, they, they don't care if there's blowback on their own reputation from doing it. It's worth taking that on just to make the attack. And in many ways, their prestige actually is enhanced from every attack like that they make that is successful and, and has a, an impact. Um, I, I probably should define what I mean by LARPers for your audience, especially with my, uh, my thick Australian accent. So it's L-A-R-P, uh, Live Action Role Play. And the term kind of came out of Dungeons and Dragons and Renaissance Fair and people that wanted to dress up as his characters out of history and you know, fight mock battles with each other and things like that. That's sort of the, the traditional understanding of what a LARP is, but it has been adapted in the last three or four years to refer to people who are playing characters on YouTube and other other social media platforms. And you know, some of the, the people that you'll see on YouTube are larger-than-life figures. They're almost cartoon-like. And you're sucked into thinking that this is just... A whole bunch of people like you and I turning on our camera, getting on YouTube, making a video. We're our genuine self. Nothing more to see than what you see. But in fact, some of it is really quite carefully calculated uh, with multi-channel networks. So channels that you know may appear to be having some kind of battle with each other or rivalry to, with their audiences, in fact, quite often turn out to be collaborating behind the scenes. Uh, And we've seen this kind of thing happening with the LARPers that I've been studying in particular, which have been around this uh, Seth Rich, uh, Awan Brothers, uh, Pizzagate, and, uh, you know, Russiagate, Spygate. uh, And then there's one from Australia called Mategate, which intersects with Isaac Cappy. So Hmm. to me, that cluster of stories, each with hashtags that I've just been through, has sort of defined the news and the preoccupations of the alt media um, since the 2016 election. Uh, you know, Pizzagate hasn't gone away, and there's been all kinds of... You know, they tried denials of the story, uh, appeals to ridicule, all kinds of logical fallacies, uh, and then they tried LARPing it up with 
you know, that, uh, a guy called Big Fish uh, and uh, another YouTuber, Titus Frost, uh, they put out a story that there had been a hack into Comet Ping Pong's website and they found a you know, secure private area uh, with child porn on it uh, and that that had been recorded and handed to the FBI and to the uh, DC Capitol. And they played recordings confirming, as well as showing emails confirming that that stuff was handed to the cops, right? right. Not only were no arrests made, but the next day after their show talking about that, this guy, an actor called Edgar Madison Welch, walks into Combat Ping Pong, he fires a single shot, and it just so happens that this magic bullet took out the hard drive inside the computer server in the office of Comet Ping Pong. So he's this crazy terrorist, radicalized by the internet. Pizzagate turned him into someone who went and shot up a ping pong restaurant. But in fact, all he did was take out like the one piece of evidence related to the thing that had been handed to the FBI the night before. So... I, I, you know, I look for coincidences. I believe coincidences do exist in the world. But when you start to see coincidence piled upon coincidence, there's a threshold at which it's like, you know, this seems like there's more to going on here than meets the eye. And around the Pizzagate story, they've just not only have there been so many of these coincidences, but there've also been these interconnections that have been exposed on the in the alternative media that are just starting to come to light in the mainstream world, um, or, but you know, most of the mainstream media isn't even touching the Epstein, Ghislaine Maxwell story. You know, the stuff that right. is coming out is being very carefully controlled, but if you follow it on Twitter, you get the whole story, and it's mind-blowing what's coming out. Yeah, no, it's incredible. When you say the connections of Pizzagate, what, what are you referencing? Are there some new research that's being unfolded, or is that Epstein's connection well, to Pizzagate? Well, for example, James Elephantis is involved in a gallery, the Transformer Art Gallery, uh, with the Caffritz family. And the Caffritz family were also heavily involved in Nexium, right? So that's a connection between Pizzagate and, and the Nexium story. Now, you might think that because Elephantis was never charged with anything, he's completely you know, innocent of, of all crimes and allegations. And I guess technically that's true, but... There's, he's never given an explanation for the photographs of the babies, you know, holding right. holding stacks of hundred euro notes and ch children taped to ping pong tables and all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, you know, the story has been like, well, there's no basement in in the restaurant, so how could that be true? But yeah, you know, he had two restaurants very close to each other. Another one, bucks fishing and camping, and he did media stories talking about the basement in that restaurant. So that to, that to me is an indication of someone who's guilty, right? Um, or something. Bucks and, and is actually, a, yeah, Bucks is a well-known, uh, among pedophile, it's a known, like, pedophile term, too. Did you know that? Like a I, buff? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, that's, all, all of all of this stuff has, has come out from Pizzagate, yeah. and, you know, I, I, I think that uh, this is a scourge on the planet. Like, it's, it's, oh. It, 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 through, throughout history, the scourge has been there, and people have eliminated it, and it, it needs to be eliminated. But instead, the media, and it seems like you know, the FBI and the cops, are just covering all this stuff up. And then when you start looking into these LARPers on YouTube, many of them are, they seem to be investigating it, but right. a lot of them are actually discrediting the, the real investigators and yes. you know, attacking their character, 
try to get their channels shut down. Uh, and, I mean, to, to me, you know, I'm pretty deep into studying all of this stuff, and I've worked out, you know, who I think is a real researcher uh, and who is, you know, completely full of shit. And it's actually quite easy to spot that because uh, if all they do is attack other researchers but never actually talk about their research or, or you know, what's wrong with the actual research, well, that's a, that's a dead giveaway, and, and that's what you see. And, in fact, there aren't so many people uh, in the social media world who are backing up the statements that they make with you know, documented primary source evidence. I mean, you know, obviously, I'm, I'm talking to you because I have a lot of respect for all the research that, that, uh, that you do. Uh, but is that something that, that you see yourself with looking at this, uh, this space, William? Oh, yeah, there's all kinds of problems. <laughs> I mean, I mean the, one of the things that... Have a great idea you'd like to unpack or a story you'd like to tell on a podcast? With Spreaker, you can record, host, and share your episodes with the world in seconds. And Spreaker is the only platform where you can start monetizing your podcast from day one. All you need to get started is a microphone or even a cell phone, and of course, a good idea. For one free month on a pro account, visit Spreaker.com slash join today. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R slash join today to sign up for free. Where do you want the roofing business to take you? To a nicer house? To family vacations? A comfortable retirement? Wherever you're going, GAF contractor programs and products can help you get there. Visit GAF.com slash get there. I mean, for you, for for example, to distinguish you from other researchers, you can actually go to your website and look at all your detailed, I mean, intensely detailed research and figure it out for yourself or read it for yourself. Some of these other guys do not do that. They're, they're, they're not using reference points. They're not putting things on the record so much. But, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of problems. And, and I think that it's just, I mean, you can go to this whole Seth Rich, this fake investigation by Webb. Um, and, I mean, we can get into even Epstein, even to this day, Rich and Epstein and all these guys. Like, even I've seen Goodman interview Dershowitz and not even ask him any important questions outside of some of these hearings. And Dershowitz is up to his neck with, with Epstein. And uh, you can see these, I mean, they just exposed, this is another example, this guy, Jacob Wool, was actually getting payments from Ghislaine Maxwell. So, and he yeah. was involved, yeah, it's incredible. And this guy was involved in all kinds of shenanigans. They call him a right-wing person, but I think he's just, uh, uh, if you ask me, in my opinion, he's available for hire. He's just uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if if you take money from Gisley Maxwell, you, you take money from anybody in the world, literally, right? Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't get really much much lower than that. And they were they were quite happy to do dirty work for both yeah, Jacob Wall and and Jack Berkman. Berkman, uh, right. who you know he he was he was involved in the Seth Rich uh, case. Uh, you know, he was he was putting on press conferences that Jason Goodman was uh, attending way back then, and those guys were also working with. Rod Wheeler, the uh, detective right. that was on Fox News, you know that's ended up in you know, multiple lawsuits involving Ed Butowski. He he employed a whole bunch of people from the social media world, uh, including Shadowbox Strategies, uh, and they, they were discussing in the briefing to actually wiretap Seth Rich's family, and this came supposedly out of Butowski, you know. 
shared the same rabbi as the family, felt bad for them and wanted to help. I mean, how do they go from, hey, I'm so sorry that your son died, I want to help, to I'm going to be in all of these lawsuits and I'm going to sue you for defamation. And right. I don't know. I mean, the, the story there was that Alan Ratner learned right. uh, from Julian Assange that Seth Rich was the source, told that to Batowski, and then potentially he got it from also from Cy Hirsch. Now, Cy Hirsch, around the time that all this was happening, he was in frequent contact with George Webb uh, wow. to the point where I wouldn't be surprised if if George Webb was Cy Hirsch's F- source at the FBI feeding information to him. But you know, coming back to that Port of Charleston LARP, it turned out that, that the information they had from their source, Deep Uranium, who did multiple shows on Crowdsource the Truth, he, he was an FBI contract informant uh, called wow. Oki Marshall Richards. And so the FBI was actually involved in feeding this information to these YouTubers who then go and have a hashtag campaign uh, and get a port shut down, get critical infrastructure attacked, and then they can say, oh, look at this cybersecurity weakness we have. The other thing that's very interesting there was that after two weeks after this attack on the port with the mass shipping line, uh, there, there was a virus uh, that was traced to originating out of Ukraine uh, that affected the mask shipping line and crippled it. It, it, did, it did far more damage than the, the port, like you know, potentially above $100 million damage. Uh, and the virus infected other businesses around the world as well. So that, that's a very, very strange coincidence that the mask shipping line got hit basically with two advanced cyber attacks within weeks of each other in the same month. Um, but then you look into the background of Jason Goodman and his connections to the Ukraine. I mean, both Jason Goodman and George Webb have been seen on video speaking fluent Russian. Really? So what's wow. going on there? Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, just to go back, I mean, if you remember, there was this huge press conference involving Wool and Jack Berkman. They had some special source on Seth Rich that led to nowhere. Do you remember that, where they had a call? Yeah, well, I think... Uh, yeah, that, that's that's right. Uh, yeah, and I think I think Matt Couch was involved in that press conference as well, and he was also in this meeting with Ed Butowski at Shadowbox Strategies. He apparently has five recordings related to the court case that uh, the Seth Rich case that he's just been ordered by the court to hand over. He's been trying to refuse that to protect his sources. So it's going to be very interesting to hear what's revealed in those courses and uh, uh, those recordings. And I'm hoping that through these court cases we can actually really get to the bottom of what's been going on with, with some of these LARPs because so far what has been revealed from documents and subpoenas and everything is a lot of the stuff that I just had a hunch about in 2016 that I think these people are connected. Well, now we've got the emails between the people. We've got payments going back and forth between the people. We've got uh, you know th- them like openly plotting conspiracies together. Uh, and as far as I know, all, all of this stuff has been handed to the authorities, not by me, but a lot of people that have been sending information to me have also been saying that they've been sending it to the authorities, and yet it's it, it's still going on, and you kind of wonder what's going to be next, if they can shut down a port, if George Webb can kind of, you know, try to create an international incident over coronavirus. Uh, you know, Jason Goodman's on the streets of New York all the time, uh, agitating the police, yelling at police, you know, it's like he's trying to start incidents on the street. I mean, I've actually a few times tuned into his show and, and seen him involved in altercations 
while he's live streaming. I mean, I, I, okay, I can understand that if you're going to do a lot of live streaming, and you know, Manhattan can sometimes be a confrontational place, it might happen you know, once that you got into an altercation while you're in a live stream. But when it's like consistently, I don't, I don't watch the show that often, but most of the times when I tune in, when he's walking, that's, that's you know, he gets into an altercation. So is, is he actually, you know, like they say, an agent provocateur, someone who's sent in to stir up trouble, and then the patsies who respond, the system is waiting to identify them and involve, involve them and use them as examples of whatever you know, agenda they're trying to achieve. Right. And can you list out for the listener uh, the court cases that you know of involving these LARPers? Because they're ongoing. They're still, even to this day, oh, correct? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's so many. I mean, one of them is uh, is Field McConnell. Uh, and, you know, he, he was part of Able Danger with a guy called David Hawkins. Uh, they did about 20 shows with Jason Goodman on Crowdsource the Truth. And then Field and David kind of split up. Field got involved with this guy, Timothy Holmseth. And he ended up in jail. He was in jail in Wisconsin and then extradited to Florida and in jail in Florida as well. Right, for saying something online, right? Didn't he say something in Centurion? For, for harassing a, a woman, a female lawyer in Florida, uh, who basically got, got a protective order against him and then he violated the protective order. So, yeah, that, that's sort of what stage that some of these LARP battles are at, uh, you know, in the, the realm of of lawfare, or some say uh, lol suits, LOL suits, is uh, you know, they, they try to resolve these matters civilly, and that may result in a protective order from a judge. If that's violated, then it becomes a criminal matter, and they can actually get them locked up. So, uh, you know, th- this is this is going on in a strategic fashion, and many of the uh, the lawsuits are are interlocking with different characters, but. Uh, I guess an, an early one, maybe, maybe, I don't know if it's the original one, but Robert David Steele sued Jason Goodman uh, for basically in the days after the port shutdown. Uh, you know, that Jason and George had done a fundraiser, uh, like a telethon type show, promoting Steele's campaign, uh, hashtag Unrig. And they raised about $25,000 from their audience for Steele, gave them the money. And then after, after these guys pulled this laugh and shut the port down, Steele said, look, I, I, my information is that Jason's about to be arrested by the NYPD and I don't want to have anything to do with you guys anymore. And so Jason turned around and said, well, everyone that gave that money to Steele, call your credit card company, initiate a chargeback, try to get that money back. You know, he's now the robber who steals, is what Goodman was calling him. And so that triggered a defamation suit. It was $24 million originally, uh, which recently it was the Steele's lawyer uh, sent a document to the court, which triggered the dismissal of the case on a technicality. And then two days later, they refiled that case. So that's currently going on in the Alexandria court in the Eastern District of Virginia. Um, George Webb's brother, he goes by the stage name of Dave Acton, he filed his own suit in South Carolina, where the Port of Charleston is located, and against Jason Goodman again for defamation. And that that case has evolved, 
He also filed a motion to intervene in the, the Robert David Steele case in Virginia. Uh, so that case was moved to the Southern District of New York, uh, where Jason Goodman is now also being sued by uh, the Emmys and NATAS, which is, uh, I think, the National Academy of Television, Arts and Sciences, that puts on the Emmys. So he made a, a crony awards where he took the Emmy statue and he put the coronavirus molecule inside you know, the, the Emmy statue. And uh, the Emmys gave him a copyright strike on YouTube for that. Uh, and he objected to the strike, which the only thing you can do in, in that circumstance, which I've been in with Jason myself when he stole copyrighted material from me and I gave him a strike and he objected. So the only thing you can do is you have to actually move it to court at that point. You have to file a lawsuit within a certain number of days or you will just put the content back up. So in many ways, YouTube's policies are actually driving many of these things uh, to come into the courts. Interesting. So that's one. And then for some reason, Webb is suing Goodman too, right? So there's like all well, this. So this, this is, this is uh, Webb's brother, Dave, suing oh, okay. Goodman. Okay, so that's maybe. the Southern District of New oh. York and the Emmys suing him in the Southern okay. District of New York. And, and that's the same court as Epstein. Weinstein, I think some of the Nexium stuff's been going on there, yeah. just like Maxwell, uh, Anthony Weiner. So, yeah, they're, they're seeing a lot of activity. But interestingly, Goodman's case, where the port was shut down with, you know, disinformation from an FBI informant in what looks like a agent provocateur situation, in my opinion, um, when it was moved from South Carolina, once those allegations were introduced into the case, it was assigned to New York to a judge who was the former special counsel of the FBI, appointed by Robert Mueller. Wow, interesting. So, and, and the other case against Jason Goodman, was on the Emmys, has also been assigned to the same judge. So if, if, you, if you want to you know, look at a general channel on YouTube and say, is this legit or is this maybe some kind of you know, government or secret society LARP, have a look and see how many people on the channel are government agents or former Right, present or former, right? Um, yeah, and, and how, how many people on the channel are, uh, uh, you know, witches and sorcerers and stuff like that. And it gives, it gives you an idea of, you know, where it might be lying. But this guy, so, I mean, but Goodman is also working or was associated with this character DeFango, right, who has also just been causing all kinds of turbulence and consternation in that community, wasn't he trying to like go after Adam Green or No More News, No More News, or some of these other people? And then I think there was something you wrote about how they were caught on live stream trying to kind of get their story. Yeah, well, I mean, this this guy uh, Scott DeFango is uh, literally the biggest larper of them all. Uh, at the end of 2019, uh, Titus Frost had a, a larper of the year awards. And he used like a, a round-robin format uh, with his audience. We spent quite a while going through all the nominations, voting in different categories and that to get it down to the, the finalists. And from about 500 votes cast, uh, DeFango came number two, Larper of the Year uh, 2019. And the number one winner was Prince Andrew for uh, saying that he, he didn't sweat back at the time of these nightclub oh, allegations. Cool. Uh, so... Yeah, this 2020 is, you know, DeFango has been making a play for Harper of the Year 2020, and 
he's had uh, kind of an unexpected uh, challenger come in in the form of this guy, Austin Steinbart. Um, but the thing in common with both of these LARPers, well, they're both out of Arizona, uh, DeFago's in Nevada now, but uh, they both claim to be QAnon, or DeFago claims to have invented QAnon, Steinbart claims to be QAnon and even be QAnon from the future using time-travelling technology to wow. come back and talk to us, right? But he's just been arrested uh, for impersonating a DIA officer uh, and also for parole violations. He was told not to drink and not to uh, smoke cannabis. Uh, he was filmed by undercover cameras uh, while on home detention doing both of those things. So, uh, you know, I, th I think that guy's in jail now. Field McConnell's in jail now. Um, I believe Steinbart was connected to Timothy Holmseth, but there was a LARP, uh, well, I think back in 2017, involving Craig Sawyer in these rape trees. Yes, I do. So that was to do with child trafficking, and it was on a Semex site uh, near Tucson, Arizona, and um, a guy called uh, Screwy Louie, uh, Michael Arthur Lewis Meyer, I think was his, his full name, uh, he seems to be another one of these FBI provocateur type characters who I think ended up in jail. Uh, but DeFango was on his way to join that LARP and supposedly oh left, left his wallet in a gas station, had to turn around and pick it up, and then by the time he got his wallet, he just decided to drive home instead. So he narrowly avoided being tied up in that uh, backyard brawl LARP, even though it was very close to him in in Arizona, but Austin Steinbart was there. So these guys both kind of cross paths at this LARP and then crossing paths again, you know, pretending to be the creators of QAnon. And yeah. you've, you've got to wonder, like, why would somebody do something that would, you know, it's so likely to get them thrown into jail, you know? Possibly it's just a mental illness that they just don't care or whatever, but Possibly they think they are above the law because they've been promised immunity because right. of a deal that they've cut with a government agency. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, okay. it's another guy that comes to mind, Santelli. Remember Pete Santelli? He was kind yeah, of, I well, mean, absolutely. Be, uh, a good, uh, good friend of Jason Goodman. I'm not surprised. Not surprised at all. And you had some reports on your website of some of these guys getting substantial monthly or weekly payments. Did you verify those as true, do you know? Yeah, well, I mean, DeFango, De around about the time that, you know, that they were trying to recruit him to be the tip of the spear in suing Jason Goodman, and then uh, Robert David Steele would come in behind DeFango in that defamation suit. Uh, they uh, they even went so far as to write legal papers for, uh, for DeFango to just put his signature on. He received $1,500 in payments from uh, Steele's lawyer's wife. Uh, so... Uh, that, that's been documented from in response to the uh, subpoena in the Aaron Rich case uh, because of DeFango's involvement with the shadow box strategies and Ed, Ed Batowski. Uh, he released uh, supposedly all of his emails from around that time. And from some of those emails, we see these emails coming in from uh, Robert David Steele's attorney, Stephen Biss, his wife goes by the name the Tanya. Um, is sending all of this crazy stuff to DeFango, including payments. Um, we, we also had some chat logs released between DeFango and another guy called uh, Lestat, 
uh, that showed Defango saying, "Hey, I need you to get some trolls, and we we you know we've got some new targets to attack." Uh, so basically, wow. offering to recruit troll armies for for payment. But I just wanted to come back to something you mentioned uh, before sure. about uh, Jacob Wall and uh, Adam Green. So Adam Green from No More News, uh, which is a I, I, you could pr- probably call that a right wing Christian channel. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, fairly critical of a certain small country, and. Uh, he became the target of a LARP from these guys. And we got the, the documents, basically, of the Fango, Jacob Wall, and a lady called Mindy Robertson, you know, planning together to do this LARP to take down Adam Green. And this was Comet Ping Pong again. Someone came in and tried to set fire to the place who looked a little bit like Adam Green on a surveillance camera. So wow. they said, oh, FBI, FBI needs to be alerted. This is the Comet Ping Pong arsonist. Uh, you know, everyone, please spread this message widely on social media. And that was a, a coordinated hit uh, from multiple accounts at once, like maybe four accounts at least, sp- spreading out that fake news with the sole purpose of, of discrediting this guy. And, and then, you know, trying to get him, they're constantly trying to get him deplatformed as well. And so right. you, you, you look at um, the, the targets of these LARPers, and it's quite often people that, uh, perhaps they're critical of the Democrats. Perhaps they're uh, a leading voice in the alt-right community, um, or perhaps they're, they're critical of that certain small country over in the Middle East. Right, and they use sock puppet accounts, but it's really classic kind of Asian provocateur type behavior, trying to goad people into or frame people. Um, but there's just so many of them, and I've read so many stories about some of these characters on the right, the alt-right or whatever, like Laura Loomer, for example. These guys are getting paid from different wealthy individuals, something like six, $7,000 a month. I think there was a story about Laura Loomer, for example. So these guys, a lot of them are also getting financing. So uh, they're paid. Well, if you look at, uh, at uh, Craig Sawyer, his Vets for Child Rescue is uh, yeah, it's a registered IRS charity. So you can see the money that's going through there. And, uh, you know, that's above a million dollars, probably coming wow. probably above two, $2 million by now. And you know how many child traffickers have been stopped? How many children were rescued from traffickers? You know, when when you dig into that, it's uh, you know the, the, it's hard to reconcile the the money with the uh, the activities of it. But for most of these LARPers, we really don't know. Like Laura Luma now is running for Congress. Actually, Mindy Robertson, who I just mentioned from the trying to frame uh, Adam Green, she was running for Congress in uh, in oh. Nevada as well. Uh, yeah, and I think Cernovich was on on record trying to get into one of the seats in California. Actually, I mean he right, wasn't. Yeah, and, yeah and I mean it's cool. pals with Dershowitz and many of these other characters as well. I mean, yeah, it's incredible when you really start seeing these connections and what's going on. You got to be very wary and careful about uh, who you listen to, and yeah, it's, it's a dangerous environment out there. I mean, it truly is a battle space, just like you wrote. Yeah, and, then, and I, th- I think the latest tactic that we're seeing is trying to discredit legitimate online researchers uh, with just over-the-top conspiracy theories. And uh, I think that that's what the Wayfair thing was. It was actually quite cleverly done. That They, they, they got some information from a legitimate database of missing children, and then they seeded 
Wayfair's API with those names and tied to SKU numbers that would somehow, you know, locate to relate back to those children, like maybe the location of where they were reported missing or something. And so when online researchers found this Wayfair thing, they're like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, there's no way this sofa can sell for $20,000. Why does it have the name of this girl? Oh, look, what is that number there, the SKU? Oh, my goodness, that's, you know, the geographical coordinates of where that girl was abducted. They must be trafficking children, and that's the way you could buy that girl for $20,000. It just... To, to me, it just seemed just a little bit too kind of neat and perfect, and I think that's an example of they just they're trying to make people look foolish, as they did with Pizzagate, you know, to cover up that this stuff really is going on. And not only is it really going on, but it's really being exposed by online researchers, and you know, the 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 threads connecting to Epstein. That story just keeps getting bigger and bigger and yes. bigger. And yes. back, back when Isaac Cappy was still alive, that was his big thing, unseal Epstein. You know, he, he did his whole Brackets and Jackets YouTube video rap for about 18 minutes singing about Epstein and all the connections to Epstein. And you know, some, some of the things he was talking about I don't think were very widely known at the time at all. Um, he talked about, in his final message, Cappy talked about uh, the 4th of July uh, you know, return of the king, return of the light, and that's when Epstein was arrested. So, oh. I, you know, did, did he know something? Was he taken out because he knew too much? I don't know. Is that your opinion of Cappy? Is that he was taken out? I mean, I, I really haven't followed him in great detail. Yeah, look, it's uh, it, Isaac Cappy was a Hollywood actor. He, he'd had some small success, and then he came out and said. You know, I have it on good authority that certain people are pedophiles, including my own eyewitness account, which he gave. And but you know, some people were disappointed that he never produced any evidence. Uh, and then he was uh, he was found dead. His death was ruled uh, suicide by vehicle. Uh, supposedly jumped off a bridge in Arizona at 7:25 in the morning, and then was hit by a pickup truck. Uh, but there's so many things uh, about his death that, that don't add up. Uh, you know, he Cappy had uh, in the past praised me personally as a researcher, and I was a little sceptical of him towards the end because he'd said a few times that Cappy is a psyop. But if someone tells you straight out that they're a psyop, you you have to take that seriously, right? You know, about uh, revelation of the method. Right. <laughs> That's what it looks like. Uh, but, but I, uh, so I, I, I started following that and really looking into that a lot, and then people started sharing information with me in confidence, and um, it's a very, very complicated story. So many things that don't add up. One of the things that we do know that happened was um, that Isaac Cappy and QAnon uh, were used to try to take down the Australian Prime Minister uh, because one of his friends and his son who uh, had befriended Cappy and, and took him in when he visited Australia, tweeted about QAnon on Twitter. And you, you wouldn't think that that has to be a huge, you know, such a huge scandal, but um, it was basically framed as a weaponized attack in the media. And similar, if, if you think of what Steele did on the Alex Jones show by talking about slave children on Mars was an info bomb, this story, which is known as, as Mategate, where they tried to take down the Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison, 
with Isaac Cappy, with Pizzagate, with QAnon, uh, and with the involvement of, of Cappy's friend, Alahai. Um, that, that's, that's an amazing part of the Cappy story that I think hasn't really been completely understood by people that were just seeing him as a whistleblower about Hollywood pedophilia. It seems to me more that he was set up and used uh, to discredit people and to attack these movements. And, you know, may, maybe that that in itself led to his suicide, but when someone makes a video saying, I'm definitely not suicidal, repeatedly, and then right. suddenly they're found dead, you, you do have to wonder about that. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. Well, i got to commend you for doing this research into LARPing. I, I will have to look into uh, Titus Frost research as well, but it's just such an important subject. When you see all the tendrils and web of connections and how many how many you know people these have these people have following them i think it's really important so and also your um statement revelation of the method is number 17 in your 20 signs of a government larp on your website so i definitely suggest people go check that out on burners.me but we're at about an hour steve do you have anything you'd like to add anything i'd like to miss or anything you'd like to promote uh, as far as your research uh, you, can, you can find me on YouTube, Crypto Beast Channel. Uh, I haven't been very active this year as we've been responding to COVID down here in New Zealand, but uh, hopefully we'll have some more stuff coming up. I'm on Twitter, at Steve Outram, S-T-E-V-E-O-U-T-T-R-I-M. And, uh, yeah, I, th I think it just in summary about LARPing is really this whole idea of social media influences, and it's not just celebrities telling you to buy a new handbag. It's the characters that you're seeing who are presenting as if they're real people and they're giving information as if it's real information, but really they're part of an operation. And even people that are there in their chat, in their comments, you know, saying things that seem to be just genuine fans may actually be part of the operation. If you wonder why everyone seems to, seems to like a show but there's no negative comments, you know, maybe those negative comments are being deleted. Good point, good point. Awesome. Well, Steve, great interview. So, so much awesome, I mean, terrific information. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to uh, share that with the audience. So, again, it's Steve Outram, Outram, O-U-T-T-R-I-M, at burners.me. So people go check out that information. He has tons of information on a variety of different subjects as well, one of which I found very insightful was uh, his research or, or knowledge of Jan, or Jan Irvin and Joe Rogan, the beginnings of Joe Rogan pretty fascinating as well. So Steve, thank you so much.